Hello and welcome to the Dragons on the Table podcast, where I recap the sessions that I enjoy with my friends. This episode is just the audio version of the prologue for the finale of the Far Enough Entertainers campaign. Uh, I was just going to write something up really briefly just to kind of bring everybody up to speed and read it at the start of the session. And I started writing it like, oh, nine o'clock at night. And then when it was about almost two in the morning and I was seven pages long, I realized that this was going to be not something that everybody wanted to listen to at the beginning of the session. But I really liked what I wrote. I felt like it just, I don't know, it, it seemed to just tie the story quite well. And I, I wanted to keep it. But I also knew everybody's busy and they don't really have time to read seven pages so I thought, okay, I will just record a podcast version of it so they can listen to it. I know m- most everybody's able to listen to stuff at work or you know, maybe while you're driving. It shouldn't be too terribly long to listen to. Seven pages uh, to listen to shouldn't make that much uh, time, take up that much time. But hopefully you'll be able to do it while you're working on other things. And then you'll be all caught up to speed onto everything that's going on. Level 20 is, from everything I've read, a difficult... Uh, level to run you need to be a pretty experienced dm which i am currently not so my i just leaned into the dungeon master's guide used the in-book calculations to create what was supposed to be a balanced encounter and i'm not really concerned with making it perfect uh but i wanted to have the story behind everything that's going on to be believable and meaningful so that's what the purpose of this prologue was was to just kind of explain how you got here why you are having this god-level fight, uh, and hopefully also to kind of uh, wrap up the story in a meaningful way. So, I think that's pretty much all the explanation you need. Hopefully, uh, if there's anything that's still confusing, you will find the time to reach out to me and get some clarification. But, without further ado, we will go and jump into the prologue. For the finale of the Far Enough Entertainers. It began with the sun. One spring morning, mages from the college came to the king and queens, claiming that the sun was dying. Their observations indicated that it was smaller, redder, and giving less heat. A solution was searched for, but none seemed to have an answer. How could you fix the sun? Time passed, and soon the sun's change was growing more obvious. Holy men claimed that the world was drawing to a close and that the hour for men to change their hearts was soon to pass forever. But many dismissed the notion, claiming that the sun was just going through a phase and that it would right itself. It didn't. As the years passed, the sun did indeed grow redder, smaller, and colder. Soon crops were failing and summer held little warmth. Few doubted the holy men now, but still no salvation could be found. Even the priests and clerics offered little hope. When once they were divided in their religious doctrine, they now seemed united in one message. Prepare for the end. It came on a cold, reddish morning. Queen Jessie was awoken from a fitful sleep by the sounds of screaming. She rushed to her balcony overlooking Castle Hill and was met by the panicked cries of the people. She stared in amazement at the sight before her. All across the city, trees had sprung up. Out of houses, from the street, and even in the castle itself, Before she had a chance to do anything, her door burst open and a panic-stricken Bob entered. 
It was several seconds before she could make any sense from him, but when he finally managed to get the words out, she almost wished he hadn't. His entire family had been turned into trees. Jesse ran to the wing where Bob's family lived and stared in shock at the large trees that stood in the rooms where his wife and children had slept. What happened next was a blur. Citizens rushed the castle looking for answers. Priests wept in the streets and for the next few weeks everyone was in a panic. But then slowly, ever so slowly, some hints began to surface. It was determined that the vast majority of Mose and the other neighboring kingdoms had all been turned into trees. It seemed that location had nothing to do with the event, for a few days later a ship sporting several tall pines crashed into port. Mages determined that there was nothing magical about the trees. They were simple plants. Then Bob, the ever-righteous paladin, began to notice something else. Those who remained were mostly of an unsavory sort. Even those who appeared to be honorable citizens were proving to have skeletons in their closets of the most detestable nature. He brought this up with Jesse, who questioned his observation for she knew that they both were of noble intention. But as the weeks passed, Bob's thoughts began to prove more and more accurate, aside from a few exceptions. It was around this time that Jay Show appeared. Despite all that was happening, he seemed his usual cheerful self. He confirmed to Bob and Jesse that it was, indeed, the end of the world. They gaped at his expression of delight, as if he had just given them wonderful news. What's the trouble? he asked. Soon we will all be taken by the great tree to live forever under its branches. Well, some of us will be. Those who remain have a rather different future ahead. Jay Show continued to explain that the tree had left some good souls behind to help facilitate what he called the transition. To be honest, I have no idea what that means, he confessed. I have not been privy to any of the details for how the world will end. The whole turning people into trees thing was something of a surprise to me as well. But don't worry, we'll be in touch with what you need to do. And don't look so miserable, Bob. Your family is far happier than you and awaiting your arrival. And with that, he left. Though still confused, Bob and Jesse at least had some answers. It makes you wonder, Jesse said to Bob that evening as they sat in a very quiet dining hall. Just sure made it sound like we have some job to do before we're taken beyond. I wonder what that could be. Bob nodded slowly, though his thoughts seemed elsewhere. It's strange knowing that we will be dying soon. Jesse scoffed. If you can call turning into a tree dying. Still, I wonder if anyone else in the old far enough entertainers group was left behind to perform some kind of task. As if on cue, the door burst open and Zixia walked in. Or maybe they were just left behind, Bob muttered. Zixia was followed close behind by Yvelda. The two had been traveling together for some months in search of answers to the Red Sun. Though they'd found no answers, they had had many great adventures and were in high spirits, despite the fact that they'd spent the last week in a rowboat because all the sailors on their ship had suddenly turned into sycamores. So, Jay Show came by, did he? Zexia asked, pulling a plate of food towards her. Good. What do we need to do? Who do we need to kill? Yvelda sat down hard on the bench next to Zixia. A little too hard, perhaps, since it sent the poor hobbling flying halfway down the table. When Zixia pulled herself out of the suckled pig, she quickly sat down and began devouring a nearby pastry. We haven't received any instructions yet, Bob told her as he tried to wrestle the pastry away. Use a plate, Zixia. Yvelda, who had obviously been more thirsty than hungry, helped herself to the wine. She uncorked bottle after bottle and was soon singing a little ditty she and Zixia had written in the rowboat. We call it the song of the beefcake, she yelled at Jessie, who was sitting right next to her. The next morning came with more answers for the two royals. 
Cole arrived looking grumpy. A perpetual breeze seemed to follow him everywhere he went, making his cloak constantly dance around him. This only added to his air of agitation. He had once again received instruction from his goddess to help the group with their task. So what are we doing? He kept asking impatiently. I want to get this over with. Days passed and still no word came. Secretly they all held hope that Cafe would walk through the door before Jay show, but soon their hope began to wane. I wonder what kind of tree Cafe turned into, Sixie asked one day as she lay across Bob's throne. I don't know, Bob said with annoyance as he picked her up and sat her on the floor, and I told you to stay off my chair. Why? You're not a king anymore, Sixia shot back at him. She was becoming cranky with being cooped up all day, waiting for instructions. There's nothing out there to rule but a bunch of trees and criminals. So that makes you my subject, he shot back. It looked like the two were about to go into a full shouting match before the doors of the hall slowly swung open. They all turned to see a very haggard and very angry-looking cafe. Well, Yvelda cried, we didn't think you were coming. Zixia said we were going to have to burn your castle to the ground before you ever left it. Cafe's expression darkened as he made his way to the group. Someone already did. Smiles quickly faded as Cafe sat down. It was obvious that he had been recently injured. My ship arrived last night, he began. I would have arrived sooner, but the only sailors left are pirates. They made for a very interesting trip here. Yvelda approached the weary ranger and handed him a drink. Thank you, he said, and then downed it in one gulp. That's better. As I was saying, my beautiful home is now a pile of ash. A few nights after all the neighbors turned into trees, I was sitting in my room enjoying a pleasant evening of quiet, when a demon the size of an elephant suddenly appeared in my living room. I killed the vile thing, but only in time to see ten more. I fought all night long. They were everywhere, in the streets, in people's homes, and lighting fire to everything. It was no use. I've never seen anything like it. By the morning, most of the town was gone, and much of the forest was ablaze. Where did they come from? Sixie asked. I don't know, Cafe nearly shouted in answer. I grabbed the first holy man I could find and asked him that same question. Rattled his teeth, but all I, he could tell me was some nonsense about the end of the world. So I made my way to the harbor and knocked some rogues around until I had a crew. Then we set sail for here. I didn't know where else to go. I figured if anyone had answers about magical trees, it was you. He downed the second drink Yvelda brought him and then looked pointed at Bob. So spill. Why is my castle now nothing more than ash? Eventually, Bob and Jesse brought Cafe up to speed. He didn't even blink when they confirmed the holy man's claim about the end of the world. He took it all pretty well until they told him they were waiting for further instruction. So that's it. We're just supposed to sit around while my beautiful home is slowly scattered across the country? Apparently, Cole answered. However, there wasn't much sitting around after that night. It seemed the demons had followed Cafe for the next morning dawn with an experience just as he had described the night before. Demon after demon appeared across Mose, chasing down anything they could and devouring them up. By the time the sun set, much of Castle Hill was in flames, and the heroes had barricaded themselves in Elizabeth's old vacant tower. Jesse had become separated, and they feared the worst. It's like every demon of hell has come out to play, Cafe growled. They're not all demons, Bob said. Cafe looked at him with only half interest. Some of them are devils. I've never seen the two working together like this. It's as if the angels have ceased their vigilant guard over the world, and the forces of evil have nothing to stop them. Where are your stewards? Cole demanded, not for the first time. 
Bob just shook his head. They will not abandon us. They will come, but it will not be before our need is truly great. So any second now? Ivelda asked. Her guess wasn't far off. The next morning found them once again fighting demons. Hellhounds burst into the room in the dawn's early light. Exhausted, they raised their weapons and fought the beasts, but the battle was not going well. They were at their strength's end. Then, a burst of brilliant white light filled the room, and the hounds exploded into dust. The light faded, and standing there was Hannah. She leaned heavily upon her staff. Bloodstains spotted her gown, and a weariness that looked beyond what they felt filled her eyes. Sorry I'm late, she said, barely able to speak. They rushed forward and helped her to sit down. Yvelda offered her food, but she waved it away. There is no time. I am at my end. But there is one last task I must perform. What happened to you? Sixty asked, genuine concern in her eyes. I, the other stewards, and the gods have been trying to keep the demons from reaching the world, Hannah explained. But our strength has faded, and the demons' power only grows. Not even we knew what was going to happen. It was obvious the world was at an end, but we did not know what that meant. That is, until yesterday. She reached out and placed a hand on Zixia's shoulder for support as a wave of dizziness washed over her. Jeshaw seemed so concerned when we saw him last, Bob told her. Hannah gave a half laugh at that. He was always too optimistic. But to be fair, I never expected the end to be like this. Was? Cole asked. Hannah's face darkened again. Yes. I am the last divine being in this world. All the other stewards and gods are dead. They stared at her in dumbfounded silence before Cole spoke up. Fury was in his voice. Dead? That is not possible. You cannot kill a goddess. Hannah returned his anger with quiet sorrow. Apparently, the rules change at the end of the world. We retreated to the great tree to gather our strength, but to our horror, it was withered and dying. Before we could react, a small ball of light fell from its branches and into our outstretched arms. We, as soon as we had it, the tree disappeared. What we held was a seed of pure light. It was the most beautiful thing I'd ever seen. As I looked upon it, I felt my understanding grow beyond even what immortality had granted me. I knew the purpose of this seed. Hannah then hung her head as if the weight of what she was about to say was too much for her. But we failed. The demons attacked in full. Once we would have been able to destroy them with a word, but so much strength and power had been taken, absorbed by the tree, and poured into this seed. We defended it with all our might, but the demons cut us down. Solus held the seed and tried to flee, but he was overpowered. It was taken to the depths of their hellish home. Why? Bob asked. What do they want with it? Hannah looked at him, and a hint of anger could be seen in her eyes to keep it from ever reaching the eternal fields. For if it can be taken there and planted, they would cease to be, and a new world would be created. You mean, Café tried, to say that this seed will create a new world where we can live? Hannah shook her head. I do not think it is meant to be our new home, but rather to be a home for future beings like us. Though perhaps if you perform your task well, you might be permitted to remain there. Maybe that is part of the reason you were chosen to stay behind. How will planting the seed destroy the demons? Bob asked. The other planes are tied to this world, Hannah explained. 
When this one ends, so will all the others. So, Zixia said, we need to get the seed from the demons and plant it in a place called the Eternal Fields. But how are we supposed to do that? That is the proper question, Hannah replied. You must travel to the seed's location and retrieve it. Then you must find a way to the eternal plains and plant the seed. Then you will usher in a new time, perhaps a simpler time, like the stories of old. But how do we get there? Yvelda asked. And that, Hannah answered, is my final task. I have just enough power to get you there. Hannah raised her staff and handed it to Zixia. Take this for me, old friend, and place it in the center of the room. It is time for your final adventure. Zixia stared at the staff and then at Hannah. A single tear rushed down her cheek, so quickly it could have been trying to hide. It seems so long ago now, Zixia whispered. So long ago we walked into your father's home and met you. A young woman, born with powers over death and a destiny so important that not one but two prophecies spoke of your future. One to save the world, Hannah said with a smile, and one to destroy it. It seems that maybe both were right in the end. Zixia took the staff and walked to the middle of the room. She stood it on the stone floor, holding it out with one hand. Each of you, gather round and hold the staff, Hannah instructed. One by one, they rested their hands on Zixia's radiating out from the staff like the spokes of a wheel. Remember, Hannah instructed, the seed wants to be found. It has chosen you to be the heroes who will save it. It will shape the battlefields in your favor. It will call upon each of your individual strengths. But that won't make this easy. The powers of darkness will contest the seeds. Work together, for only united will you prevail. She gave them one final wave. Good luck, far enough entertainers. May we meet again beyond the end. Then she began to chant, a language that sounded both strange and familiar. They felt power pulsing around them. A magical twinkling filled their ears. Then the chanting stopped. Bob looked back at Hannah, sitting alone on the floor with a smile and a tear. Goodbye. The Queen of the Dead burst into a million specks of light. The light, sp tiny sparks flew across the room and encrusted the staff. Light filled their vision, and an explosion of magical energy washed away their sense of time and space. Then there was nothing.